0: recently, and uh, you will have learned about the foolishness of living for material things. Remember the story uh, that's called The the Rich Fool, the man that lived for things, for money, power, position, and so on, and just at the time when he thought he'd really succeeded, his life was required of him, and God's verdict was that he was a fool. And then Jesus goes on teaching about how Christians should live, how they should regard material things. And he was teaching them, too, about trusting in God for daily things. Again, he says, be rich towards God, rather than just building up your money here on earth. And then, the thought changes. And he says, uh, I want you, if you're my puss to be like slaves or servants waiting for their master to come back from his wedding. It's a practice of the day he's talking about, of course. The man has gone off to be married. There have been celebrations. He's expected back this night. We don't know if he's coming back before midnight or whether it'll be in the small hours of the morning. Jesus said, I want you to be like servants that are ready and waiting for him so that as soon he comes, you can open the door, have your lamps trimmed and ready. That's how I want you to be. And then he said something else strange. A man had his house robbed, and he said, Oh, I didn't know the robber was coming. <laughs> and Jesus said, The robber comes when you don't expect him. And he says, I'm going to come when you don't expect me. What was he talking about? Peter wasn't quite sure. Are you telling this story for everybody, Lord? Are you just telling it for us? Is it something that that we've got to learn, or does everybody have to learn it? (laughs) Jesus tells them another story. This time the master of the house goes off on business, and he appoints one of his servants to be the steward and to run the house while he's away. If you're familiar with Downton Abbey, that's Mr. Carson. Runs everything. huh? He's in charge. But this man is not like Mr. Carson. And he starts throwing his weight about. And he'll do this and he'll do that. And, well, he gets drunk and he beats the servants. And Jesus said the master will come back and catch him unawares he will experience his master's anger and he will be thrown out. He'll lose his position. Now you're, you're reading these stories for the first time and you might say to yourself, well he's, he's probably talking a bit like the rich fool that, that, that the end is going to come, God's going to say your life is required of you now and, uh, but Jesus isn't talking about that at all. He's talking about something really quite different. And if you're new to Christian things, it may surprise you a great deal. Jesus is talking about the fact that this present life that people knew him in was not the only thing. That one day he would come back again. The Son of Man, he says, the Son of Man will come at an hour that you do not think. The Son of Man is his own name for himself. I just caught the tail end of a a news item this week, and uh, I can't tell you what the survey was, but it said that 40% of people didn't believe that Jesus was a real man, Hmm? just a, a figure in mythology, they thought. Well, not only was Jesus a real man when he came into the world, and not only did he live and die and rise again and return to his Father, but Jesus said that he's coming back again. Now, if you're reading this for the first time, that might strike you as a very big surprise, but there's already been a clue. A couple of chapters before, Jesus says this, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of his Father and his holy angels. He's he's obviously not talking about that present time. He's talking about the future. And uh, he said uh, again to his disciples in another place, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, and then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right, and the goats on his left. When Jesus comes again, it will be a very different coming and a very different situation from when he was on earth before. He'll not come as a baby. He'll not come as a man that people wonder who he is and where he's from. When he comes again, everyone will know where he's from. When he comes again, he will be requiring us to give account of our lives. When he comes again, everyone will admit that he is Lord. It says, every knee will bow to him in submission. Every tongue, every person will admit that Jesus is Lord. And they will do that either willingly or unwillingly. This is the story. Jesus is coming again. Hmm. This is not the only story that he told about coming again. If you went on to read in Luke and elsewhere, you would find that he talked about it in other places. He told a number of stories very similar to these, where the master goes away, he leaves his servant, he comes back, and he calls them to account. told another story about a wedding uh, where the... Uh, Um, Ten young women were waiting for his return. Five were ready and five weren't. He tells this story of an interval between that first coming and the second coming and the importance of being ready. And uh, it's important to notice that in this context, Jesus said, you won't have any warning. At a time that you don't know, I will come. So how does this apply to us? Does it mean anything for us? Well, servants at the wedding, uh, we- uh, uh, waiting for the master to return, he they might have said to themselves, well, it's only 10 o'clock, there's plenty of time, he's not going to come just yet. I'll get busy doing this. Or others other might have said, well, uh, I think I'll go and have a nap. And then when he comes, I'll get up and light my lamp and, and, uh, and so on. Uh, the master says, you'll be taken by surprise. The Mr. Carson figure, he might have said, well, I'm in charge. I'm going to do what I want. It won't matter if I boss the student, uh, servants around. I can do what I like. I'll have plenty of time to sort things out before the master comes back. But of course, in the story, there wasn't plenty of time. Maybe he got so used to his way of living that he couldn't be bothered anyway. You know, there are some people uh, that when they begin to think about Christian things, they say, well, uh, I'll not bother now. When I get old, I'll have time to think about this and I'll do it. And the tragedy is very often they can't be bothered then. They're not interested. The story has a particular warning for leaders. This uh, steward, given great responsibility. If you know the story of the church, you know that there have been leaders that have behaved exactly like this man. And they have lorded it over God's people. And they have lived for themselves and their own profit that steward was steward was thrown out as unfaithful because he never had been a real servant he was thrown out jesus says with the unbelievers there's a warning there for leaders but there is a warning there for us all anyone can claim to be a servant of the master we can keep company with the Master's servants, but by our life show that we don't belong, actually, amongst the servants at all. People like that will one day be surprised and ashamed. His coming will affect everybody. The faithful servants who are waiting for him, expecting him, The bad servants, although they claim to be servants, actually show that they're not. And those that don't even think about him or his service. And the story shows that it can be a time of celebration. Think of the celebration of those servants waiting for their master to come back from his wedding. It says, if the master finds them ready for him, (laughs) he'll tell them to sit down and he'll serve them. That's over and above what could be expected. It can be a time of celebration. But it can also be a time of giving account and a time of judgment. Judgment which will be scrupulously fair. For Jesus said, those who know God's way and fail to do it will find judgment more severe than those who didn't know and failed to serve as they should. So it's a serious business, isn't it? This waiting for Jesus is a serious business. How should we live One well-known preacher prayed like this. Dear Lord, may I take you with me today in my heart? Do nothing that would grieve you. Say nothing that I should be ashamed to say in your physical presence. Think nothing that is unworthy. And go nowhere where I should be ashamed to be found by you. That's a helpful prayer, isn't it? We had that attitude every day. It would go a long way to keep us from falling and dishonoring the Lord. But I think there's more. Being ready is more than the sum of the things that we don't do. a generation ago especially, the great emphasis uh, for Christians was, really, was the things that you didn't do. Mm -hmm. You you came to church and that sort of thing, but you didn't go here, you didn't go there, you didn't, and, and that was a big emphasis. But being ready for the master, being occupied as his servant, is a lot more than the sum of the things that we don't do. What is our master's business? I just want to, suggest two things this morning that our master's business really is. First of all, the extension and the welfare of his kingdom. We've touched on this already this morning. Spreading the good news of his grace, mercy, and love to undeserving people. That's our master's business This was his command to his disciples. And as we've heard several times already this morning, we're all involved in this, in one way or another. But we're not all preachers and evangelists. We're not all upfront people. And uh, although we've been talking about the importance of one-to-one, some of us don't feel that we're all good all that good at one-to-one either. But in God's house, and this local church is described as God's building, God's house. In God's house, there are all kinds of responsibilities and tasks. And uh, there are some who are leaders, some who manage the affairs of the house, including a caring pastoral role. Some are in a supporting role. Just think again for a moment of Downton Abbey, that big staff. hmm? Yet even the most lowly little kitchen maid has a part to play in the whole house. It's important. Jesus said to us all, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so as God's servants we give our time. We cut out some things that we might do in order that we might serve our Master. We give our energy. We can even grow tired in our master's service. Not tired of it, but we give our energy to serve him. We pray for his kingdom. We give our money. We invite people, as we've been talking about already this morning, we can serve in a whole variety of ways in, in the life of a church which is meant to be like a lighthouse in the community. There are all kinds of jobs that crop up and as willing servants we serve together. We're all part of this local house. We belong. So the first part of the master's business is the extension and the welfare of his kingdom. And another very important part of our service is the honor of our master's name. The way we live should count for him. The things we do should count for him and for his honor. Again it's not just the things that we abstain from Yeah, there's enough of those. And there are parts of the New Testament that talk about the things that we should avoid. But there are things that we should be doing, positive things, not just within the family, but positive things outside. What did Jesus say? Let your light so shine before people that they will see your good works or your good deeds and... Pat you on the back. Glorify your Father who is in heaven. Just a bit after that he said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And sometimes we think of, we can think of a lot of things that we shouldn't do in order to be perfect. But Jesus was talking about positive things that should be done. He wasn't saying, don't just love those that love you. He was saying, love your enemies. He was saying, you be outgoing. Be outgoing. And Jesus wants us to be active for him. The Apostle Paul said, we are his workmen, as workmanship, as Christians. God has brought us to himself, and he's been working in our lives. He's made us Christians, put his spirit within us. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Are we his servants? He has things that he wants us to do for him. Paul wrote to Titus. He he wrote about waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. He's coming again. It's the same as our story. He said, that's what we're looking for. That's what we're waiting for. And what has he done it for? To purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. He wrote again to Timothy, and he said, I want you to insist on these things that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help in cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful, and so on. And there's other places in the New Testament that we live positively for the honor of our Lord and Master. Other stories that Jesus told talk about the rewards for the servant. That's only briefly mentioned in this particular context. But there are stories where Jesus says, the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. But in this context, it is a warning to us and to those who might claim to be his servants but fail to follow his directions. So that's something we all need to take to heart those who show in the end by their neglect that they were not true servants at all. Till so we, we have to ask ourselves, am I a servant really waiting for my master? And am I a servant really doing my master's will, seeking the extension and welfare of his kingdom, seeking the honor of his name in my life. Well now, how do we enter the master's service? Well, it's the opposite of being taken on at Downton Abbey, let me tell you. Our references don't care who you are our references are rubbish. Downton Abbey wouldn't look at us if we see ourselves as God sees us. We start by agreeing our unworthiness, that I fall short by nature of what God requires. And seen in his light, seen in his light, I'm not a good character. I'm guilty of breaking his word and his law. No matter what people may think of me. Seen in God's light, I'm a sinner. And that's where we start if we want to be a servant. And then we come to the friend of sinners. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life that we might be forgiven. And he said, whoever you are, whoever comes to me, I will accept. I'll never push him away. I'll never reject him. And so as we come to him and we ask forgiveness and we ask to be accepted, he makes us his servant, not because we deserve it, but in his mercy and grace. And out of our gratitude, we serve him. We wait for his return. He gives us what we don't deserve. And we aim to please him. Now just notice how our chapter ends. It's too much to talk about the whole chapter. There's two things Jesus talks about. First of all, reading the weather. He said, you people, you can look at the sky and you know what's going to happen. You see a cloud in the west coming from the Mediterranean, you know you're going to get a good drenching. The winds from the south, the hot wind from the desert, you know you're going to have a bit of a heat wave. You understand that. He said, how is it, how is it that you won't read the signs now? How is it when you see me, the things that I do, the things that I say, how is it you don't recognize who I am? Think for yourself. Observe what I'm doing. Don't worry if your family disagrees said there'll be disagreement in a family, but you decide for yourself. Recognize your Messiah. Think about who I am. That's what he said to the crowd. And then he said to them, just imagine you're being taken to court. Your case isn't very strong, but you're going to be taken to court. It's much better to agree with the person taking you to court before you get there you get to court you'll be in prison and you'll be there until you paid the fine to the fullest extent in other words he's saying do it now while you have the opportunity this is the time and so this morning let me tell you if you're not a servant of this master already if you you haven't come knocking at his door and enlisting to be his, asking for the forgiveness of your sins, if you haven't done that this morning, do it now. Think about who Jesus is, the things that he said, the things that he did. Think about his resurrection and his glory and his return. Do it now while there's time, and then live as someone waiting for his return and doing his will.